This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello and thank you for joining us for this Blue Research podcast. During the past 10 years, trade dynamics have definitely shown an accentuated inversion of the globalization trend. The great financial crisis is a turning point in the degree of global economic integration, with protectionist policies being adopted in many countries and a decelerating growth in trade-intensive sectors. Well, today we're going to be discussing trade and financial globalization with Marie Brière, the head of the Investor Research Center Adam Mundi, and Alessia Berardi, the head of EM Macro and Strategy Research. Alessia, let me start by asking you, how is the COVID-19 crisis influencing the deglobalization trend that we've been observing for several years? And is it deepening or not? Thank you very much for your questions and thank you for inviting me into this podcast. So um, starting from your first question, the uh, I will say that the analysis on the deglobalization trend uh, has been uh, a key pillar in all our recent uh, outlooks. So we, we do recognize today that the great financial crisis marked uh, an historical turning point in the level in the degree of the uh, economic integrations since uh, since that time since 2008 2007 and, and, uh, and 2008 the global trade has entered a period of uh, uh, let's say increasing protectionist policies and subsidies and for that I mean subsidies in the sense of support to local farmers or to state and non-state exporters, creating, for example, the national champions, to name, to, to, just to make a few examples. Uh, this has decelerated, if you want, the growth in trade intensive sector, has raised the policy uncertainty, and even more recently has raised the trade tension among some uh, uh, important economic players in the world. Uh, in um, Already in 2019, uh, the world trade dynamics uh, have uh, definitely shown uh, an accentuation in the inversion of the, the globalization trend and, and its robust contribution to the global economic performance. Uh, in 2020, the uh, unexpected advent of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has simply added momentum to a trend that, uh, as I said before, has started one decade ago. In, uh, as a response to the current uh, uh, sanitary health uh, and economic crisis, uh, the different countries uh, have been uh, redefining their strategies on economic integration, uh, the, 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 their autonomy in strategic sectors and uh, the domestic, their domestic uh, economic sovereignty. So, reinforcing in a way the deglobalization uh, globalization trend. For most uh, countries, uh, the COVID-19 crisis um, may, may push them to rethink their dependency in, uh, in key sectors, uh, such as technology, but even the healthcare sectors that uh, in the latest uh, period has been one of the most uh, exposed. Because many countries 
countries are now um, making their, uh, their, their, their thinking about the fact that uh, they depend uh, very much on foreign companies and they need, they need to develop a sufficient domestic production, for example, in medical uh, equipment and pharmaceutical. So uh, remaining on the uh, economic side of, of, of the story, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fair to say that the globalization trend has turn towards a more deglobalization trend, but we do not see a kind of the, multi, the, the multilateral approach completely dead. We do, we do not expect that uh, this approach will be shattered into hundreds of uh, uh, autarchic uh, countries, so such, such as uh, isolationism, because uh, this, uh, gl this global approach, multilateral approach, is probably is likely evolving into a more, uh, uh, let's say, custom regional uh, approaches with a different balance of, uh, of power. So not a single country, but a plural and multi-balance uh, of, uh, of power, I would say. Okay, Alessia, so you've described the economic deglobalization phenomenon. What about financial globalization? What's the difference between the two? The uh, financial globalization uh, refers to a general high correlation within asset classes and uh, across uh, geographical areas. So what we can say is that uh, the uh, economic uh, deglobalization process that has intensified since uh, the great uh, financial crisis, as we said before, as of today, uh, as has not led to a similar trend uh, in the uh, in the financial uh, in the financial world so the uh, financial markets around the world have actually remained very much integrated so far okay and by definition globalization is crisis insensitive so alessia could you explain for us the phenomenon of financial contagion what is it Yes, uh, the way we can define uh, the uh, financial globalization as uh, crisis insensitive uh, is uh, uh, when we look at the, uh, what has been happening on the financial market uh, since the great financial crisis and even in this current pandemic uh, uh, crisis, uh, it's pretty clear that the financial markets have remained very much uh, integrated. And this is probably the, the main proof, the main uh, uh, reason to, to, see, or to say that the uh, financial globalization is indeed crisis uh, insensitive. Actually, during the uh, financial crisis episode, uh, uh, quite frequently uh, we uh, observe uh, that uh, the, uh, a significant increase in the links between the market. And that increase in these links goes beyond what can, we can explain looking at the fundamentals or looking even at the economic uh, relationships between the, uh, the different countries. This increase in the, in the financial integration, in the financial correlation, uh, is a phenomenon that we call the uh, contagion. And uh, this is important in terms of uh, implication on the investments, uh, the investments decision, 
because in a way it reduces the power of uh, strategies uh, tending to, uh, if you want, diversify the portfolio to get an extra return. In period of uh, strong uh, contagion, the asset class tend to behave uh, in the same way, even across different countries. That's why a strategy like uh, the diversification in the portfolios that can uh, allow to get extra return in normal circumstances is uh, in, in these circumstances much less uh, powerful if you want. And let me turn back to you, Murray, because in a recent Amundi working paper a few weeks ago, you ran an historical analysis of financial globalization and contagion over more than 100 years. What made you want to investigate such a long period of time? Yes, thanks for your question. So I think the historical analysis of equity returns correlation over a long history is particularly instructive because if you look at the last century, we, we experienced periods of varying globalization intensity. So Alessia just explained us that we are moving to a less globalized world. And if we think, and it still have to be proven, but if we think that this economic deglobalization can also have consequences in terms of financial globalization, meaning financial market integration, then looking back at less globalized periods in history can offer some insight on what could happen for investors if we were moving to a less globalized world. So in our research, we examined the linkages between 17 international stock markets from a long historical perspective because we started in 1880. We estimated the structural correlations over different economic regimes to measure the degree of financial globalization. What we learned from that is that financial globalization is not a linear or a irreversible process. We could identify four different regimes with a different level of capital market integration. The first one is a classical gold standard area that happened between 1880 and 1914 when financial markets were globalized, but international stock market integration was lower than it is today. The second regime is the interwar years between 1918 and 1940, which show a short revival in cross-border capital flows, followed by a collapse in globalization. Then we had the Bretton Woods period, 1946-1971, when most countries implemented capital controls and stock markets were poorly integrated. And finally, the periods we are living in, the post-Bretton Woods area since 1972, when global stock market integration reached its highest level. So to sum up, capital market integration followed a U-shaped pattern. It was significantly more integrated before the First World War and after 1971 than in the interwar and Bretton Woods periods. And Mary, you investigated how the level of financial globalization affects the risk of financial contagion. Tell us, how did you go about your research? Yes, so an important question is to understand how these varying levels of globalization affected financial contagion during crisis. So to do that, we estimated correlation in crisis time versus correlation in quiet periods to measure the intensity of contagion phenomena, meaning the degree of stock market recorrelation happening during financial crisis. 
But then we needed to take into account that the structural level of correlations was different over each period in order to disentangle the financial globalization from the contagion. So what we did is that we followed the sequential process. First, we used an international capital asset pricing model, an international CAPM, to measure excess return with respect to the international market portfolio and assess the globalization in the equity market in the 17 countries. Next, we analyze correlation between the excess return by testing the significance of the distance between the correlation matrices estimated in crisis time and in quiet times. So to say things differently, we measure contagion not as the absolute level of cross-correlation increase in crisis, but the increase in correlations above what fundamentals can explain. And Marie, could you just share with us some of the key findings of your research? Sure. Our main result is that the intensity of stock market contagion varies with the degree of financial market globalization, but interestingly, in a non-linear way. Our first finding suggests that there was no contagion in crisis during the non-globalized periods, so between 1918 and 1971. The capital controls and the market segmentation that was implemented during the 30s and the Bretton Woods years may explain the absence of stock market contagion during this period. Secondly, we find that no contagion during the period of intense financial globalization after 1972, but we do find some evidence of contagion during the classical gold standard period of 1880-1914, when stock market integration was high but more moderate than it is today. How do we explain this? In, intuitively, in a world with high cross-market correlations, the scope for an increase in correlation in crisis is more limited than in a world with more moderate globalization. For contagion to occur, markets have to be mildly integrated. When connections between markets are minimal, contagion cannot appear. If there is no globalization, contagion is impossible because it requires some permeability between financial markets located in different countries. With speaking levels of globalization, as in the last 40 years, contagion disappears because when stock return correlation during quiet times are very high, there is much less room for an increase following a shock. Finally, when markets are moderately integrated, financial contagion becomes plausible during crises. And during the gold standard area, financial globalization was reasonably high, but not too high, and we experienced financial contagion. Overall, contagion is more likely to occur when financial globalization levels are in the middle range. So our findings are consistent with an inverted U-shaped relationship between financial contagion and globalization. Alessia, let me turn back to you, because in light of these results, which macro scenarios are you forecasting? Our uh, macro scenario today is uh, uh, clearly very much dictated uh, by what has been happening on the uh, 
health crisis side uh, and that has to be added to the topic of the current call that is the, the globalization trend so uh, the, the globalization trend is uh, in any case uh, detracting although gradually from uh, growth potential around the world but this uh, recent crisis has clearly pushed uh, the different economies across the world in in, in recessions so what we do expect going forward uh, going forward we do expect that uh, together with uh, some uh, easing partial or total easing in the lockdowns measures that are happening in uh, in different in different way in uh, in the different countries we will see a, a gradual uh, resumption in the in the economic activity and that uh, differently uh, country by country will uh, drive uh, the uh, the economies to recover uh, and to recover at growth level that they left behind at the end of 2019. The pace of recovery will be uh, different uh, according to the country that we are uh, we are considering. Uh, we do see uh, emerging markets if you want uh, ahead of the developed markets but mainly because driven by uh, countries weighing a lot of the aggregate such as uh, China. China has started the recovery process uh, even because uh, China entered in the pandemic crisis well uh, before the uh, other, other countries. Uh, the emerging markets aggregate is mainly driven by the dynamics, growth dynamics of, uh, of China. Uh, with regard to uh, the uh, inflation outlook, uh, we do uh, uh, expect inflation remaining very subdued for the, uh, in the short uh, in the short period it's very likely we are going to see uh, some spike uh, in inflation in 2021 dictated mainly by a base uh, a base effect due to the press level of inflation the depressed level of inflation that we have seen uh, in the current months driven not only by uh, a very depressed demand but even very depressed low uh, uh, and low oil uh, oil prices. This base effect, uh, according to our estimates, doesn't mean a, a return to higher level of inflation. Inflation is expected to uh, subside after the uh, peak driven by the base uh, the base effect. In terms of policy mix, uh, the policy mix uh, is very accommodative, and it will remain very accommodative for longer. We do have the central banks uh, around the world. Uh, in uh, uh, full speed easing, starting from the main central banks, the Federal Reserve, the, BC, the ECB, but followed even by the uh, emerging market central banks that actually in these uh, current uh, weeks are showing uh, even uh, a new interest ver uh, versus not orthodox tools like the quantitative easing. We have seen even Bank of Indonesia adopting and announcing uh, measures similar uh, to the quasi-fiscal or fiscal quantitative, uh, quantitative easing. So the policy mix uh, will remain uh, again accommodative and mainly driven by the uh, monetary policy. And it's said that the fiscal policy, uh, uh, although in many cases is still lagging behind, uh, is trying to reduce the gap in the sense that even in the, on the fiscal side, the different authorities uh, across the different countries are uh, showing, are implementing 
quite bold fiscal packages uh, in, uh, in in support to their uh, to their economy. This uh, kind of uh, uh, policy mix uh, uh, is not expected to uh, fade uh, or to disappear uh, anytime soon. We have seen even uh, the recent remarks by the Federal Reserve showing that uh, or telling us that uh, the environment of low rates is here to stay for uh, for long. This uh, common factor in terms of massive uh, stimulus uh, put in place by the main uh, central banks around the world is probably one of the common factors uh, driving even what we've been referring before as a, a contagious phenomenon since the great financial crisis. I think it's, uh, it's fair to say today that the Federal Reserve is not only the central bank of the United States, but is the central bank of the world. And the uh, different markets, the different asset classes uh, across the globe react to any kind of decision coming out from the uh, US uh, central banks. And this is probably has to do a lot with what we called before uh, uh, contagion. Thank you, Alessia. And just lastly, Marie, with your observations and your research experience, could you elaborate a little bit more on your convictions regarding the consequences for investors? Yes, if one of the consequences of the COVID crisis is that the deglobalization movement that we are experiencing leads to less financial market integration, we could expect stock return correlations to be lower during quiet times and thus prudentially improving diversification benefits for international investors. So that's the good news. But the dark side of this, of this, at least if we come back to a regime close to the one experienced during the gold standard era, is that we could also experience higher correlation increases during financial crisis due to increased financial contagion. So my recommendation to investors would be to be very careful about the consequences of crisis on the risk of their portfolio. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for, for this Blue Research podcast. Thank you very much indeed to you, Marie Briere, the head of the Investor Research Centre at Amundi, and to Alessia Berardi, the head of the EM Macro and Strategy Research. And thank you very much indeed to you for listening. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.